Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. And today, I will be talking about witches' familiars. And I'm going to be talking about catnip and cat-she, which are fae that take the shape of cats. Uh, I don't know if it's obvious yet, but can you guess that we have a theme today? <laughs> yes, we, ve- we very much have a theme today. Um, this is uh, Cats the Episode. Yes, Cats the Episode, all about all things kitty cat. Because, like, But, I mean, oh, I, was, I was just going to say, you know, it's like familiars are not necessarily cats, but... <sighs> I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, and I think I, I think that the association between cats and witches is something that has existed forever and ever and ever. Amen. So it makes sense to do like a themed episode, and it's fun. And I know that you'll talk a little bit later about it, but um, Nick and I have always kind of had at least one matching cat out of yes. our cats. Uh-huh. Uh, and so this was a fun opportunity to sort of like start thinking about cats again, since we both just got kittens within like the past few months, which is hard to believe it's already been a few months, but here we are. <laughs> oh my God. Faye is so big. I sent you that picture of her with Ivan. Uh, I'm so sorry. Oliver. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Speaking of cats that look the same, yeah, Oliver yeah. and Ivan looked the exact same. Um, but yeah, no, Hex is getting so big. It was like crazy. I walked up to him in the window the other day and I was like, dude, what? How? How are like, you overnight. looking like a grown-ass like, cat? It's like, it's like tiny, 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 full-sized. I'm like, when yeah. the fuck? Uh, it, you know what happened? I, I went to LA to visit you and then I came back and she was like three sizes bigger. Like the Grinch's Aww. heart. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. I um, I just love cats. Cats are excellent. And, you know, I think that Nick and I, maybe I shouldn't speak for both of us, but I kind of feel like you and I are both sort of like cat and dog people. We're just like pet people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely like, I'm the guy, even though I don't have dogs, we're like, when I have friends that have dogs, their dogs really like me. And you know, it's always especially funny where it's like, oh, like my dog likes you more than they like my boyfriend and we've been dating for <laughs> years. And it's like, sorry. Hey, you know what? I think that dogs are a good judge of character. Willow loves you, which, you know, is shocking because Willow is so reserved and mm, conservative yes. with her and affection. It, that's very special to me that Willow uh, came comes out of her shell. <laughs> my dog is such a hoe, but she does love you. She does love you a lot. So... I just, I always think it's funny when people are like, are you a cat person or a dog person? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> if if I didn't live in like an apartment apartment. And so like Shannon lives in a sort of a townhouse that has like a very yard like thing. Yeah. We're in like walk-ups. Yeah. And, um, you know, so like it really makes sense to have like a dog but it's like it it is kind of a hard sell and I, you know it was hard to get my roommate on board but i do want a dog yeah <laughs> do, i do want one they're very fun in very different ways but i do have to say it's like doing this episode was fun too because like i had cats before i had a dog and i think the bond that you have with a cat is just different than the bond that you have with a dog. You know, it's like one is not better than the other. They're just very different. My relationship with Willow is nothing like my relationship with Samson and Hexus. And that's awesome. Like that's part of the fun of having different types of pets. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to kick off our like catty episode talking about one of, it's actually one of my favorite herbs of all time. And it does happen to like get your cat high. Probably. Oh my god, F- Faye is hooked on the nip. <laughs> yeah, Samson is very funny. When I bring in fresh catnip, he like rubs his body all over it on the floor. Like I'm talking like one leaf of fresh catnip. It's hilarious. But we are talking today, of course, about catnip. Um, it's cat mint is what it's commonly called, I think, for a lot of people in the UK. But in the US, cat mint typically refers to one of the ornamental relatives of in Kataria, which is what we are talking about today so if you're in the states i would just be careful and not really use them too interchangeably because sometimes 
people are thinking about a different plant. And when in doubt, this is like, this is the perfect example of where botanical Latin actually can come in handy. And I think herbs are one of the big places where it's like sometimes, sure, it might feel a little bit pretentious to know that one of your plants is like not the Chinese money plant. It's a Pilea peperomioides. But if you're thinking about like types of herbs and there's a difference between like Incataria and like a different variety that's ornamental and not necessarily as useful for herbalism, that's that's a pretty important distinction. <laughs> and one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And I would also just caution you, if you're at a place looking for herbs and they can't tell you what type of cat like what type of catnip it is, like maybe that's not where you should be getting your herbs. So that's just for your safety. So Nepeta cataria is of the Lamiaceae family, and it is a great herb to have on hand for just about anyone. And I've I've also heard from some herbalists that I've listened to talk about it, that it's also really good for people with kids. So of course, like, do your own research, be very careful, you know, your body and your children's bodies. But if you are using herbs, you know, for some support with your kids, I have heard several people have recommended catnip as one to have on hand. And the Lamiaceae family is, of course, where we do find the mints. And so because of that, you would be very right to assume that catnip, this little dude, super easy to grow and is also prone to world domination. So beware, it will spread, it'll take over, it'll start popping up in places you didn't plant it, just like other mints. So just, it's a great one for a container. So you don't Mm, end up with a yard of catnip. Yeah, and you know what happens when your yard is full of catnip? Your yard is full of cats. Exactly. Your yard becomes full of cats. Which sounds cool (laughs) until it happens. Right. It's like, it's cool in theory, and then suddenly you're surrounded by cats and you're just like, oh no, oh no, they're going to take over the world right now. Um, A horde of like outdoor cats can be a bit intimidating, I find, even as a cat lover. You ever see them sitting in a circle? Yeah. That's always my favorite. It's like cats are definitely witches because you, when you see like feral cats or like street cats, they meet up and they sit in a circle. Like, yeah, I know. I love it. They're like having an important meeting. Um, but catnip's also super, super, super easy to grow from seed, which I think is a big bonus. It's very affordable to get seeds of it. And it's allegedly going to sprout in two to three weeks when you start from seed. But i I planted some last weekend and it sprouted this week. So like it took a little less than a week for mine to sprout. So I think depending on your climate, you know, two to three weeks might be a little long. So don't be, you know, just don't be surprised if you're seeing it a little bit sooner than that. Don't and then, don't ignore it for the full three weeks. And, yeah, uh... yeah, exactly. Don't just like put it in a corner and be like, I'll come back in three weeks. No, you might have a plant before then. Um, And once they have their first bloom set, if you cut them back after that, it'll allow enough time for them to actually completely regrow and bloom again in the same season. Like these are really, really fast growers. Um, Some species of Nepeta, like I said, they're going to spread out of control unless you like take measures to keep that from happening. Um, So of course you want to like pinch them often while they're growing to make sure that you keep that like dense, well-shaped plant they will, again, also reseed all over the place if you let them. And that can be really annoying, not just for you, but something to be mindful of if you have neighbors is like herbs like this that will reseed don't just reseed on your property. So keep an eye on that. Like to prevent the uh, to prevent the plant from blooming, you can just like pinch off the top of the plant when the flowers start to form. And it is one of those things where like, sure, it'd be great if like the world was covered in herbs, but like maybe your neighbor doesn't want a yard full of catnip and you should probably respect that. <laughs> According to the Monsanto Corporation, actually, Shannon, and I, uh, you know, I don't want to burst your bubble, but actually that does not happen. <laughs> oh my seeds god seeds fall directly down from any That's plant true. i forgot you're right monsanto, monsanto did prove that that like nothing into travels. the ground directly beneath where they are planted and that's a uh, scientific fact so <laughs> please continue right but i just I'm wanted sorry. to clear that up this important interruption from uh mm-hmm. monsanto so uh to avoid damage though from your neighborhood cats because that is something you have to like think about with catnip right it does attract cats um you can think about using like some type of enclosure i also tend to use cayenne all over my like outdoor plants 
Uh, it's it's actually really useful. So most animals will smell the heat of it. You're not actually like hurting them with it. But cayenne is also a great deterrent for squirrels. And so I go through a lot of cayenne during growing season. And it's fun. You know, sometimes my herbs will be a little spicy if I don't get all of it off, which is fine by me. But it really does like help keep a lot of different like, you know, so, so what do you out. do? Do you make like a spray or do you, you're, you're just like getting out? the cayenne out of the spice cabinet and like sprinkling it and rubbing it in or no i just sprinkle it on top of the soil yeah oh on the soil yeah on the soil when they're like seedlings and then when they get a little bit bigger you can also like get it on the leaves and it's fine it like it won't hurt your plant at all very cool yeah yeah i love cayenne um other like thing from your herbal cabinet or your like spice cabinet i use um i use uh cinnamon to help prevent damping off when you're growing seedlings because cinnamon is a natural antifungal. And so it can help prevent that from happening. Cause I know damping off is something that a lot of people like worry about and have to deal with when they're starting plants from seed. So, you know, fun facts. I, I really do try to use like as much natural stuff as I can when I'm gardening, especially with things that I plan to eat later. Like to cover it with a, uh delicious chemicals from the monsanto corporation i know i always i feel like i i've kind of become that person in our neighborhood and i've you know i help some people that live around me with their plants and stuff and a woman who i love that lives near me was about to like dump a bunch of miracle grow on her uh pumpkins and i was like hey like maybe not if you're wanting to eat them like I and I don't want to be the person that's like fear mongering. I don't think all chemicals are bad, but I do think that if you're at home and you have the choice, it's like getting stuff like worm castings is just as affordable as getting things, you know, like Miracle Grow. And I personally feel a lot better about eating things like that. Um, it, again, just my two cents take it or leave it. Uh, but you know, that's that's what I think. So anyway, um, but you don't have to worry about feeding catnip, which is great. I promise they'll be fine. You're not going to need to worry about, you know, adding fertilizer and stuff. They're they're really like drought tolerant. They also can be like good ground covers if you do need that. Like maybe you got a, a busted empty patch like next to a little like sidewalk or something. Catnip can do well there. Um, they also can do well in like either full sun or partial shade, which I know is nice for a lot of like balcony gardeners, because a lot of us don't get full sun if you don't have an actual yard, um, myself included. And I think that something like catnip, some so many herbs can be grown in partial shade. And that's great because for, you know, those of us that maybe have like an overhang on our front porch, that means something like this is still going to thrive just as well. And this is a, a great herb, like so many that will thrive in poor soil as long as it's well draining. You know, nobody likes wet feet. They're like, they're not fussy about the ground. Literally, as long as their roots aren't sitting in water, they're probably going to like thrive and attempt to take over whatever space you put them in. And the good thing about these is like insects and rodents aren't a huge concern with this plant either. And it doesn't tend to suffer from a lot of diseases. So it's a really great companion plant if you're if you have like a container garden with a bunch of different plants. You know, catnip is a great one to include in there, as well as things like marigolds, because marigolds, um, like calendula, can actually uh, it it actually prevents pests and stuff from coming into the garden area. So you know, sometimes it's nice to have these like kind of protective companion plants too. Um, mm, protect protective companions. I know. I know. I love companion planting. It's something that I think is really, really fun and special. And like so many plants enjoy having a buddy. Don't we all? I think um, we all do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there are a ton of medicinal benefits, of course, from catnip. But the thing that most people are probably familiar with is like this herb getting used to get your cats fucked up. But that is an inherited trait. So just like Fair warning, it's not guaranteed that your kitty is actually going to be able to get a buzz. So, you know, if your cat doesn't get turned on by catnip, there's nothing wrong with them. It just means they didn't inherit that genetic trait that makes them go gaga. But my cats go crazy, like balls to the wall insane. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> Faye can't get enough of it. She does the like rubbing, like rolling around on the ground. Yeah, like right, getting it all over. And uh, Ollie seems to to be a little more playful, but you know he's a he's he's a distinguished gentleman these days. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of that Anna Nicole Smith commercial where she's like rubbing the money on herself, like "want my body, want the money." <laughs> it's like, but that's them with catnip. Um, <laughs> so, as far as humans are concerned, though, catnip is a, a gentle but really effective digestive stimulant. It actually helps boost the production of like digestive secretions throughout your GI tract, which like. Sounds gross, but it's very important. What happens in our gut is super crucial for our overall health. And the aromatic like warmth of catnip does help move like gas out of the gut, which relieves a lot of internal pressure, which number one, like regular gas, but also for people like me who have heartburn sometimes. Heartburn mm. um, can be caused by excessive like intra-abdominal pressure. And so something like catnip can be really helpful because for me personally, peppermint tends to like aggravate my heartburn. So, you know, something like catnip can be a more gentle solution for people that that might be the case for as well. Which is and, funny because uh, peppermint is what they put in a lot of like fakey pseudo herbal heartburn treatment treatments. Yeah. And for some people it works, but for some people like peppermint can totally irritate heartburn it's not like a one-size-fits-all and that's you know that's the thing with like herbal remedies you really have to get to know what you want because so many of these like big you know big companies that are just putting together these like generic like you know here's this for a digestive upset like they're not able to actually tailor it to what you need to fix because like digestive issues is such a broad term but so many people pretend it's all one thing um <laughs> Which is like, ugh, that's a rant for another day. Um, but like other other mints, you know, the leaves and the flowers are the medicinal bits here. You know, that's something that we kind of talked about last week. Dandelion is really unique in that you can use all of it. Um, but mints, you're just sticking with the leaves and the flowers. But that's fine. That's still plenty. Um, and, you know, this is a really great herb for Virgos. I should I should just add, like, and other anxious people who suffer heartburn, like, it's it's a really good one to keep in your cabinet and it's one that's not as like popular for some reason but catnip is really like really badass. So you can take like the leaves and the flowers and you can make a tea and enjoy it either hot or iced. I find for myself personally like when my heartburn is bad, iced tea is a lot easier for me to drink. Um it feels really soothing and you know that might not be everybody's experience. Your mileage may vary, but I like like an iced catnip tea can be so refreshing and make it feel so much better when I'm having bad heartburn. Um, you could also make a sun tea with it if you have like a really good quality herb. And I think sun teas are such a cool little thing to like do with your kids. If like maybe you have kids that you want to get interested in like herbalism and plants, you know, sun teas are such a fun little project to have them help you with because it seems very magical and it is it is uh, yeah it, it, you could throw a few hibiscus leaves in there and make yeah. it turn pink if you want oh. to you know or even like um what are they the uh the blue is it blue pea butterfly flower? pea violet yes. or whatever butterfly pea because those turn they turn like this really pretty like fuchsia when you add acid to it so if you add like a couple of drops of lemon juice it changes it from this like bluish purple to like this really pretty pink Plants are so fun. Um, so if you are making this as like a tea, though, like, again, for GI issues, some of you can probably pair it with peppermint and that'll work great. But, you know, like I said, I'm one of the people that peppermint can aggravate my heartburn. So you could also try things like ginger or lemon balm. Lemon balm is also really great for digestive trouble. Um, you could also think about doing like a catnip and a chamomile or a catnip and a lavender if your GI issues are caused from anxiety because that's sort of going to give you the one-two punch of like helping calm the nerves and then also helping calm your digestive tract. Um, and it's it's also really great for panic and anxiety in adults and children. Um, so that's that's another like really fascinating thing that catnip can do because like you think about your cats and it gets them up 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 right but mm -hmm. for humans it tends to kind of have a little bit more of a relaxing effect and this is one that I've I've heard 
I, again, I don't have children, so this is not my personal experience, but I've heard several people talk about how catnip can be a good one to use as like a little tincture for kids. Um, you know, not making it with alcohol, you can make them with like glycerins um, because the tea, teas tend to be a little bit strong for little ones. Um, mm, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's supposed to help a lot with kids that have, you know, maybe trapped gas or they're having like really bad anxiety because, you know, children have big emotions and they don't know how to express them yet. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's also a nice Nervine to take before bedtime. So that's something that like, it'll help you fall asleep, essentially. The things that help it make you like a little bit more calm, you know, those tend to be really helpful for people that have insomnia, right? Because like, I don't know about anybody else, but when I have insomnia, I'm usually not just like daydreaming about fun shit. I'm usually pretty anxious in bed. Well, I mean, I I would say I have pretty chronic insomnia and like you end up stressing out about having the insomnia because you're like, yes, I'm listening to a delightful BBC podcast about like Hadrian's Wall and um, trying to go to sleep and uh, I, you just can't. And then you're like, well, fuck, I can't. And then it's like, you just need to kind of like relax a little bit. Yeah, it can definitely become like a bit of a, a bit of a like spiral for sure. Um, my, my big issue is like, sometimes I'll wake up and I can't get back to sleep and a nice little tea. If you're one of those people can be great. And this is also why I would suggest like having some iced herbal tea in your fridge. Cause then it's like, you don't have to worry about putting the kettle on and waiting for everything to steep. It's like you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, you're having a hard time going back to sleep. Just sneak down to the kitchen, get yourself a little glass of like catnip and chamomile tea drink a little bit of it to try and like relax yourself and then go back to bed. Um, you can also think about pairing it with like something like passion flower or wood betony. If you're thinking about using it for like anxiety or sleep, those are some other good like pairings for it. And biologically, like the connection between the gut and the brain is very strong. And so it makes sense to me that something like catnip is really effective for both. And so we're going to get a little sciencey here, but it was, it was important to me to kind of like talk about this because the, um, the connection between your gut and your mental health is something that we're learning a lot about recently in science. And as someone who spent most of my young life being told that like all of my digestive issues were just because I was anxious and like, not thinking that there might be a reverse connection as well. Like if some of this research had come out when I was a kid, it could have been really good for me. And so I just want to like shout this from the rooftop so everybody knows about it. But like your your gut bacteria produce hundreds of neurochemicals that your brain uses to regulate like your basic physiological processes, but also like mental processes, things like learning, which um, hi kids that are stuck in school all day, uh, memory, which all of us need, and mood. So the bacteria in your gut actually manufactures about 95% of your body's supply of serotonin, which again, serotonin, we all know about your mood, but serotonin also influences your GI activity. So when your serotonin levels are off, it is throwing off your gut as well. And that's why a lot of people have things like IBS that are connected to extreme anxiety. I think it's why signs like Virgos that tend to have like a little bit more of that high-strung energy do suffer from GI issues. And the gastroenterologist, um, Emerin Mayer at the uh, Center for Neurobiology of Stress at UCLA was quoted as saying, it's almost unthinkable that the gut is not playing a critical role in mind states. And there's this like incredibly striking example of what they call like the microbiome, uh, microbiome gut brain axis. Uh, it was published in gastroenterology in 2011 and Berkic, who's the scientist gave a strain of mice that are like typically very timid and shy, a cocktail of antibiotics that really dramatically changed the composition of their gut bacteria. And these mice like developed a bunch of boldness and became like little adventurers. And then as soon as the antibiotic treatment was stopped, it actually like they reverted back to being like their usual cautious selves. So it really does show like the neuro camp, uh, the antibiotic treatment, like also for them, it like boosted levels of their brain derived neurotrophic factor in the hippocampus. And that's the neurochemical that like promotes neural connections. And it's super important for memory and mood. And so it's like the results that they saw out of the rats 
are exactly what you would expect. You know, it's like this connection between what's happening in the gut and what's happening in the brain is just so, so closely linked. And it just, um, I don't know. It's something that I think is really important and we're learning so much more about it. And it's something that herbalism in particular, I think has a really great ability to help encourage because it's not something that's like killing off things in the microbiome. It's really trying to like interact with, you know, plant material to build up long-term like healthy things in your body. And again, I'm not like anti-pharmaceutical. If you need pharmaceuticals, that's great. But like, I'm, I'm very much a both and type of person with herbalism supports. So another thing that the mints have in common is they're antispasmodic and diaphoretic. So that helps them like release tension and allow easier venting of heat. So in this regard, you can think about catnip as being able to like relax the muscles and the skin and it allows the heat of a fever to escape the body. So it is commonly included in formulas um, of things like teas and tinctures that are designed to help break like really high or long lasting fevers. Typically it's included along with things like peppermint and elderflower. But when you're thinking about that, like releasing the heat, that can also help if you're like really frustrated. Like if you're super pissed off, you have a really annoying day at work you know, maybe a, a nice cup of catnip tea when you come home will like take the edge off. So. Which sounds absolutely lovely though, by the way. Right. Right. Cause I, I guess I didn't really talk about it. Catnip does kind of just taste minty though. It, it just tastes like kind of herbal and minty and it's not, it's not like I love dandelion root, but I'm going to tell you like dandelion root is bitter. It is not for everybody. There's a reason that like roasted dandelion root is sometimes used as a like replacement for coffee for people that are trying to stop drinking so much coffee. But like catnip, I feel like is a lot more approachable for most people. Um, and now we get to talk about magic, right? This is a podcast about magic. So catnip is considered a feminine plant. It's associated with the planet Venus and the element water. And shocking to approximately no one, it's associated with the god Bast, which I know you'll you'll touch on him later, Nick, talking about cats. And it's great for love magic and beauty and happiness. And so to me, the way catnip works in these spells is like in its ability to help you feel better. You know, it's like, like they say, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love someone else? So, you know, in if you're going to be doing a spell like maybe like the one that Nick designed to help with like self-love catnip could be a great herb to include in something like that. Uh, it's also great for wait for it cat magic. <laughs> so if you, um, if you have a cat, that's a familiar, you can like give it to your cat to help create a stronger psychic bond between the two of you, like a little bit of a, a mind link between you and your familiar. And it's like good bonding and again, it's it's also great for use in like love sachets. And so that's for self-love. But, you know, if you're wanting to feel a little sexy too, it's like include maybe some like rose petals or lavender, you know? So it's like a little for me, a little for you, kind of doing that yeah, fun and, balance. You know, it's like feline energy is very sexy. Oh, yeah. It's so sensual. So it's like, I don't know, that sort of like invocation of like cat energy at that time really does feel appropriate. Yeah. I mean, has anyone seen Catwoman? Catwoman's hottie. <laughs> so um, my favorite thing, though, that I read about it, too, is like they say if you hold a piece of catnip in your hand until it's warm and then you hold someone's hand with that same hand, they'll forever be your friend as long as you keep the catnip. So, like, I guess don't lose it. But you put it in a book. Yeah, I guess put it in a book. It is said that uh, catnip plants will attract good spirits and luck if you grow it near your home or over your door. You'll also attract all the neighborhood cats. So, you know, some some of one, some of the other. Just make sure that your plants are protected. I love cats. Neighborhood cats will fuck up your garden. Beware. And Nick, you'll you'll love this. I was reading in Scott Cunningham's book. He actually suggests pressing it and using it as a bookmark in magical texts. So you read... You read ahead in your mind, I guess. I know you know, you honestly, but um, you get what I mean. <laughs> I, I did read it earlier, so maybe it it, the, it like planted a seed, so to speak. Uh, but that was unintentional. <laughs> but, um, I did not mean to like blow up uh, your. But no, I do. 
because I like to do that with rosemary too. Because I know. and the the hot tip, y'all, is that you use your little rosemary wand as a bookmark, and it makes your books smell like motherfucking rosemary. Well, and I also I love herbal bookmarks because like scent is the strongest memory. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the strongest like tie to your memory, right? So it's like if you're reading a book that you care about a lot and you have an herb in there, then when you smell that herb, other times it can remind you of that book, which I think is just wonderful. But I just I wanted to make sure I threw that in, Nick, because I know we've talked about it a couple of times. I know that's something you like doing, so I was like, haha. Thank you, Scott Cunningham. I also noticed there's a typo there, and it says Scoot Cunningham, which is... Um... <laughs> Scoot. <laughs> Scoot. So Scoot Cunningham. <laughs> Not his name. Um, so those horses I used today were um, the spruce.com, Herbal Marie's podcast. She has a, a great herbalism podcast. Uh, growing this stuff myself, of course, and the back of burpees packages. Uh, anyone who's grown seeds knows all about those. Uh, commonwealthherbs.com, apa.org, and Scott Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs. Also known as Scoot Cunningham. Yeah. Scott Cunningham, pen name Scoot. Pen name Scoot. <laughs> uh, well, scooting right along. Um, <laughs> oh my god, this is never going to end. I love it. <laughs> um, no, so... I have the absolute pleasure of talking about which is familiars this week. Uh, so I think we kind of talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but I was so, so, so excited to cover this topic this week because as Shannon can s- confirm, uh, I have been wanting to do an episode about cats and magic since February when we both got semi-matching kittens to continue our friendship theme of always having semi-matching cats because, you know, it's like, um, what is it? Samson and Kusto are, were the same colors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ivan and Oliver, dead ringers for each other. Same cat, probably. We suspect. I, I uh, mean, that, that's where Ivan really went. That's the twist. Yeah. He just, He's kind of going back and forth. He couldn't do two homes anymore. He needed to settle in, and he knew you uh, needed him. Yes, um... And then now, now there's Faye and Hexes, uh, who are semi-matching. So it's it's kind yeah. of more of a, a Samson Cousteau situation. They they rhyme. They do. Uh huh. Um, but we we do love Faye and Hexes, and I love that we both gave them like, kind of like magic adjacent names, but like not, you know? Yeah. It's like we like didn't name them like Aphrodite and like Hades or whatever, you know? It's like, but it's like. Fae, and I the name Fae, not F A E, not the magical creature. Yeah, um. they're like they're they're magical if you know, right? And Hexus has the word hex right in there. You know, yeah, very cool. For we do just call him Hex now, but he is a little shithead. He attacked a bag of peat moss today, which I know I'm trying to get away from using peat moss, but I do have uh, a carnivorous plant that needs to be repotted. So I'm just like, I know it's not great. So apologies there, but he attacked it and like ripped, uh, like ripped a few holes in it, and then like got short, like tiny little shards of peat moss all over the dining room table. Little psycho, delicious. You can <laughs> yeah. use those as like a little garnish for your food later on. I mean, like, I think whether like or not I want it, style. no matter what happens, that's going to be the case. So, <laughs> uh, but oh, okay. So, so, but uh we wanted to talk about familiars but it's kind of like i'm talking about cats as familiars but you know i did want to offer some like fun alternatives for cat or regular animal okay so actually before i kind of dive in though i feel like bird people would be the ones to make their birds their familiars as well oh yeah like you always see the list and it's like very unlikely I feel that there's just a shit ton of people out there that have a horse familiar like as cool as that sounds like who actually has a horse yeah it's like not men- not many people have uh the room or the finances for a horse no uh but I feel like bird people would be people to like because I mean I don't know have you seen bird people with their birds? There's definitely something there. I like that you say bird people with their birds. Um, do you do you remember Nana's dove that she oh, had for Ruby. a while? Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, Ruby was definitely Nana's familiar. Right. Her like solid white dove. Yep. Yeah. So no, I definitely know about bird people. <laughs> Anywho, um, but no. So we're we're kind of talking about cats as familiars. 
because literally the association between cats and magic and like priestesses and witches is as old as civilization itself um like the, the very earliest egyptians which thousands of years ago not hundreds yeah thousands, thousands uh paid homage to the fierce protector goddess of the home Mafdet, who was often presented as a cat-headed lady sometimes just as a cat a few times as a lady-headed cat very oh, interesting that one's that one's spookier to me that is kind of sphinxy a little sphinxy yeah. sphinxes kind of are spooky to me they aren't because they, they you know we're actually we're not we're not even really going to be talking about sphinxes today, but nope. sphinxes <laughs> are fucking spooky. Um, <laughs> we're we're both but, I think a little rabbit traily today, but it's fine. There's a full moon in Scorpio tomorrow. There's there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot. Of, I literally I worked so much this week and like I wrote parts of this in the bathroom. One hundred percent. Yeah, I had one of those days where I woke up at 7.30 and then I got a lot of work done and then I was like, holy shit, I'm exhausted. And then it was 11 a.m. <laughs> so, um, anyway. <laughs> so, but okay, no, but later Egyptians worshipped a very, very similar goddess called Bastet, which was sometimes just abbreviated, I would like to think affectionately as Bast, you know. Yeah, and Bast is associated with catnip. Mm, mm-hmm. Full circle, the circle of life. Right. Look at us making connections for y'all. Right. <laughs> um, but so as cats got a little less wild vermin exterminator vibe and, you know, a little more chill on the rug vibes, the goddess Bast also kind of took on some like softer and more domesticated qualities. Um, also becoming the goddess of love, fertility and family eventually. So kind of taking on all of that, which sort of encompasses home life as we, or they know it, you know? Um, anywho, I'm, because of course cats oversee the home, right? It's like, it's, a, it's really, they certainly keep your home safe. And uh, because I mean, you know, a huge risk back then was that mice would get into your little grain stash or your hay or whatever and like you have to have something to keep them away to literally not starve to death over the winter so very protective indeed so you can kind of see like the the connections between that like necessity of needing cats and like seeing them as these like fierce protectors and then also just kind of like associating them with this like fierce protectress style goddess um so, but yeah, witches, priestesses, cats. Uh, but so, but ever since, cats have always been seen as sort of like mystical animals associated with mysterious occult practices and eventually witches. Um, so like during the times of the witch hunts and the Spanish Inquisition and the other Inquisitions as well, we're not leaving anyone out. But familiars were a central part of the lore of the satanic witch, uh, which was perpetuated by hysterical Christians who obviously had a huge chip on their shoulder after going through centuries of persecution of their own. And they're like, well, gosh, what do we do now that we're not being persecuted? I guess we'll persecute other people. Um, <laughs> but there was a yeah. lot of crazy shit with the the satanic witch panic you know um what the, i i thought this one was kind of funny so and of course you know it's like a lot of these ladies and i'm gonna mention this again later on we're just like lonely older women right yeah who took care of cats history kinda, hates a widow right uh, it's really true um but they they, they even would say that they would feed their their witches familiar with their moles so like having moles was seen like moles and warts and things were like the teats that you fed your familiar through also fucking rude man right it's like okay so i'm i'm like an older lady probably live alone have a cat 
you got a wart or a mole on your face. It's yeah, like, just you, leave her alone. You got some skin tags. She's fucking 70. Leave her alone. <laughs> leave her alone. Like, I'm, I get so mad when I read about it. But, um, but no, but so. Witches familiars. And, you know, like, during the witch hunts, this is like sort of the beginning of the mythology of like the broom riding witch with the black cat kind of coalescing in the gutters of the hysterical Christian's mind, right? Um So, like, they were seen as sort of an intermediary between witches and the devil. Um, So they would get their orders from Satan to do their various misdeeds, you know, like adultery and like poisoning wells and, um, you know, misleading the children and eating the children. Um, They would get their orders from Satan, Beelzebub Diablo, uh, (laughs) through their familiars. So it's like a, you know, like a fax line straight to the devil. Um, and so unfortunate, and also it was, you know, they would go into like trance-like states supposedly and the familiar, like help them cross over to like commune with the devil in spirit and have like, like a spirit orgy with Satan. Um, like that, the, the familiars were seen as like the key to unlock, locking that relationship with the devil. Um, so like, unfortunately for all the cat lovers out there. Uh, who were also really probably just lonely older women. Uh, this is really like a, a central part of the hysteria. So that, like that's kind of what they were looking out for. And yeah. I think I even said when we had the Q&A episode, it's like, what would I get burned for if I was alive in the Salem Witch Trials? And it it would definitely be probably for being a cat person. like Right. And when I think about like cats serving as intermediaries for Satan – I always imagine them as like Lucy, like the demon from Disenchantment. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's just like all I could think of for some no, reason. No, that's literally, I feel like that's what Faye is. Um, so even though Faye is not my familiar uh, at the present moment. Uh, she might be a demon, though. She might be a demon, though. <laughs> um, but. So the, a lot of cats were brutalized for no good reason during this time, as well as the, the women who were accused of being witches. But also cats were just like a target, you know, like especially cats in cities that were not because, I mean, there's always kind of room for a, a cat that has a job. But like a cat in the street that kind of eats scraps and is uh, scrappy in general, you know, they were those were the ones. And of course, if I was alive during the Salem Witch Trials, I would be the one trying to like feed the scrappy little street cats and uh, I'd get burned for it. So um, (laughs) fair, fair. So but there were at the time and are still many other options for familiars, but cats are at the top of the list then very much they are now. But so sort of like some of the classical choices from then for accused familiars um like ravens and crows which i mean you know there's there's a lot of laws about keeping wildlife as pets these days but i still i think it would be neat to have a crow yeah i think um, so just to try it out i don't know <laughs> um it, as i mentioned before black horses Although, you know, black if horses are like something kind of useless and expensive to have now, horses were something that were useful and kind of expensive then. Uh, so probably still not a lot of witches with horse familiars. Uh, but it comes up like kind of across the board. There was like and horses. And I'm like, who has a horse familiar? <laughs> like it's always just on a list somewhere in like a history book. And it's like, OK, well. Who, though? And, like, where's the legend of the witch with the horse familiar? Right. Um, but, okay. But black dogs as well. And I think a dog... Some dogs have the right energy to be a familiar. You know? Um, toads. 
classic though you know right because toads are kind of like associated with like a pestilence of toads which does occasionally happen in different parts of the world and it's like one of the biblical plagues and so you know like toads kind of have that mark of shame on them that would get them associated with witches but of course if you're just like a person who likes nature and you're like wow cool a toad they're like witch (laughs) (laughs) uh but also sometimes snakes you know snakes actually yeah. a snake would be a cool familiar but i feel like very... i see a lot of like cool snake familiars on instagram I, yeah. it's like not my bag i i have not had a, a strong connection with a snake before but people with them always look really precious and happy like they're little corn snake familiars yeah i i have uh read during the research and i didn't include it i was just kind of like and you could do snakes but um there is this psychic, and I think she's on Instagram, and she channels all of her like psychic messages for people through snakes. Wow. So it's almost like snake divination. It's I don't know. It it was an interesting it was an interesting take. Snakes, uh not super my bag either, but I've never, I, I find reptiles a little cold seeming, you know, like I also sort of don't understand the people with the lizards, um, frogs, you know, since we're talking about toads as familiars though, frogs seem chill and maybe kind of wise, sometimes a little aggressive. Yeah. I don't know, frogs, frogs have personalities, like. I like frogs. I mean, you remember I had tree frogs in high school and I, I liked them a lot. They do seem very, um, they do seem very deep. Yeah. Yeah. Frogs seem, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've got that picture in my kitchen of like the frog, like chilling. with like the mushrooms and the moon in the background. Like that's like that, like that frog wisdom, you know, that's the vibe. Of course, no one else can see that picture. Maybe I'll post it. <laughs> um, but okay. So, and while all the satanic stuff was almost entirely made up with all of these different familiars that people supposedly had, um, like the Celts most certainly had cat myths, like the cat she, which you're going to be talking about later. Um, the Norse goddess Freya was pulled around in a chariot by giant cats. Uh, the Greek goddess Athena had an affinity for cats. I mean, the Egyptian, and then you kind of go back to ancient Egypt and the beginning of civilization. And it's like, you could maybe get into the headspace of like the medieval European seeing cats as like an old school pagan vibe. Uh, As far as like being suspicious about the connection between like paganism and cats. Uh, But I, I, but familiars are also like a new pagan spirituality vibe and by that i mean like our current current era uh and i think it's definitely a wonderful thing to incorporate into your craft but i think and this is kind of where you know i'm bringing my personal opinions into it just a little bit like i think you cannot just have any cat or dog or horse or whatever uh be your familiar like it's it's a special bond you know like not every witch not every witch needs a familiar and also it's like just because you love your pet doesn't make your pet your familiar like i love willow willow is not my familiar and that's kind of i mean you know like that's a very succinct way of saying sort of what what i had had to say was that like i've had the same cute two cats for the better part of a decade until last year and then I got Faye in February, but um, only one of them has ended up being what I feel is kind of a familiar. And I would say the shocking answer here, uh, and I know you probably looked at my notes earlier today, but I would say Oliver is my familiar. Yeah, I think so. I could see that. Because Oliver has that backstory of like being my roommate's cat that was always just a little too attached to me. Who I really felt the connection to and then like you know just a bit over a year after we parted ways kind of getting him back because he had gone to the ranch and um you know like i just 
really like jumped at the opportunity and it was like recommended by my vet to get Kusto a friend. But so I cut him back, right? And he was so thin because like they kept him in the barn. You know, he wasn't even allowed to be an inside cat anymore. And the other cats were apparently very mean to him, but he was very thin and malnourished. And so like nursing him back to health. Uh, he also was missing a bunch of patches of hair, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, kind of like nursing him back to health, like really just like sealed the bond. And it's like, Oliver is glued to me. Um, and, you know, but on balance, though, like I said before, like barn cats that grow up that way, I think are fine. And they're like very much living the OG cat lifestyle. It's just it wasn't for him being an apartment cat trying to do that for over a year was a lot. But um, so, you know, it's like Cousteau was a proper gent and one of the great loves of my life. But like I, I do think like nursing Oliver back to good health really strengthened like his bond with me because it's like. I don't know. Oliver seems to know what's going on with me and he's like glued to my side. And it's like, you know, even when I'm like doing rituals or reading the tarot, he's just like right there with me. Um, But I would say, you know, like that, even that's like not it. It's also about kind of the energy because Faye follows me around too um, and gets excluded from things though, because she is not cut out for it because she's too hyper. And like Oliver is bringing that kind of like grounded and earthy vibe just like to the room. And, you know, he's also like not, not knocking over candles and shit. Like he knows when something is important. And it's like, it's almost like he's respectful of it, you know? Yeah. Like he knows when I'm playing, he knows when something is important. And like we just we communicate so much with eye contact, and I, that's the thing. It's like that psychic connection is just so important. And like, you know, I see Oliver and I see Kusto still. To be honest, like in my dreams a lot, like especially very intense ones, and I I do sense that that's like a protective thing. Um, yeah, that's so sweet. I could also yeah. totally see that about him though. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I, we've got that that eye contact communication, and I, I just feel like we always are picking up on each other's vibrations, and it's like, you know, uh, when he was sick recently, like when I brought him in, he was acting fine, and they were like, "Well, what's up?" And I'm like, I can just tell something's up, like he's sleepier than usual, even though he's a sleepy cat, and it's like, you know, it's like things were weird, um. And you have to know. And it's like, it's like he didn't have to tell me. I just knew. Um, but yeah, it, I, it's, I would say I think the important thing to consider here is that you will definitely know if your familiar is more than an animal companion. So if you aren't sure, I mean, I'm very sorry to say it's probably not your familiar. Um, but if you feel very strongly that you have an animal familiar. Um, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> uh, but I would say, like, lean into the tradition of fast and use that, like, protectress energy, right? So uh, I think this is an especially good idea for people who do astral projecting or people who work with trances. Your familiar can literally sit with your physical body while you are doing that kind of stuff. And that's like very true to the original sort of vibe of cat worship and familiars in general. Um, you, I think, would also consider using a familiar in any spells regarding home protection because that's also very much in like the original spirit of the thing. Um and I would say, you know, if you're going to be doing witchcraft with your cat, you should definitely consider having like a binding ceremony with your familiar. You know, it's like you could even put like a sigil or a rune or something on their collar and like put it back on them. Like 
just to kind of like initiate them into your craft if you feel like you know that's something that you're like starting with them um but yeah you know and we've kind of moved on into like conjecture zone because i know that there are so many people out there who maybe like are not animal people or you don't have the time or the space or maybe you just have really severe allergies yeah. and or like, you live somewhere where you can't have one also very true also very true um and so like personally and i was kind of asking you about this this morning so i was like i don't even know if i want to throw this in but it's like i'm kind of feeling drawn to do so especially with like the plants being like a big theme in our podcast i like and also there are certain trees around the city that i live in that i absolutely love and visit <laughs> um so i i feel like it's very druidy or like almost has like a taoist flavor to take on a tree is a familiar or the spirit of a tree um like i have a favorite tree that i like to use for spell work um or like you know if i am doing something that's going to be outside that's like generally where i would do it and it is a a lovely old oak tree in the bend of a creek so a very magical location and like a very spirited tree um and I would say, if you're called by that, lean into it, you know? Like, I feel like we were talking about, Shannon brought up animism. Uh, plenty of practitioners have, like, an animist view of, you know, who does and does not have a soul. Um, and I think lovely old trees are, like, particularly important trees in your life. I have important trees in my life. So, like, I hope that's not coming across as, like, something, like, very beyond the pale, but, like... Import the important trees in your life might be your familiar. Yeah, no, I have. I mean, there's a couple of trees that are around where I live. There's one in particular out front that I have a very like good bond with, and I talk to that tree. And like when people left stuff by the tree, I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Let me clean this up. So it's like, I mean, I get what you're talking about. Do you remember? Okay, speaking of trees, and like this is just like a like a nostalgia thing since we are on like the rabbit trail today do you remember that huge dead tree behind the middle school i do and how do you remember how i would always try to be drawing that tree yep i do remember that um moving on (laughs) (laughs) uh okay no because i don't know i was just thinking about it maybe that tree was my familiar at the time i don't know i was obsessed with it i kissed on that tree that's so weird still but <laughs> um so okay so we have a, a quick little questionable witchy practice just a quick one <laughs> yeah um and you know so we're talking about cats we even kind of touched on astral projecting a little bit and whew, uh we really wanted to just kind of say that using the term spirit animal unless you come from one of the native american tribes where that is a legitimate spiritual practice is definitely frowned upon by the wands and fronds community uh aka me and shannon um we also really don't care for the word patronus as like a wokeism um because i mean it's like i think we both love harry potter stuff um but J.K. Rowling really does not deserve the credit for being a huge transphobe uh, and a turf, which is like the worst thing you can be. Uh, I mean, it's not the worst thing you can be. That's uh, but it's but up there. It's up there, especially if you have to be so loud about it. It's like, um. So we were, you know, we were kind of talking about it, and it's like, I mean, I think it's, I, I think the idea is something, I mean, that people have a hard time throwing away. Because I think there's probably going to be certain animals that, like, really feel special to you or that represent something in your life or that maybe you do see in your dreams. And I think that's all valid and that's beautiful and that's that's good. And, like, you shouldn't ignore that because, you know, you don't want to say the, the right or wrong thing. But it's like, 
you really shouldn't appropriate other people's culture to like describe an idea that's basically universal. So I kind of thought astral familiar is says the same thing, but um, in a safer way. Yeah. You know, I did want to actually add something sort of kind of circling back around after QWPing um, is that one really cool thing to do with your familiar that I think a lot of the witches that are listening to this podcast will relate to is that anytime, even if you have a cat that's not your familiar, is like fucking with your tarot cards, go ahead and pull a card, even if it's just one. It's like, I mean, sure, you maybe just have them out on your table, and that's probably why, but there's other stuff on the table, and there's other stuff all over the house. And if they're like fucking with your tarot cards specifically, <laughs> pull that card. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good um that's a really good point. So I guess on that note, we can move into our uh our fun little kind of a deity profile. Um so it's today's deity profile isn't like a deity per se, but it is a type of magical creature and it's our show and we decided that that counted. So uh please feel free to send in your complaints to wandsandfrondspod at gmail.com. Um <laughs> so I'm talking about cat she though. So Katshi are a benevolent fairy creature that we see a lot in Scottish and Irish lore. They're described as being as big of, as big as a dog, and they have bristly black fur with a white spot in the center of their chest. Um, and it's actually possible that the look of the Katshi was inspired by Kayla's cats, which are um, a distinctive hybrid between Scottish wildcats and domestic cats that are found only in Scotland. So the Katshi are said to walk around on all fours when they're around humans, but some legends do say that if you sneak up on them, you can catch them walking on two legs and singing to themselves. Uh, and there are a ton of these stories from Scotland, but there are also a few from Ireland. And the people of the Scottish Highlands, like, did not trust the cat she at all. Uh, they believe that it could steal a person's soul before it was claimed by the gods by passing over a corpse before burial. So there were watches performed day and night to keep the cat she away from a corpse before burial. And they had some fun ways to kind of like distract it. So there would be like games of leaping and wrestling, catnip, you know, riddles and music. And funnily enough, some of these things ended up becoming part of like the normal burial traditions. Um, But, you know, in addition to these like silly little distractions, they also wouldn't light any fires near the body because it was said that the cat she was attracted to the warmth. Um, And I just I think that's such a fun, weird little like the kitty cat's going to come curl up by the fire uh, because, yeah, it would. (laughs) <laughs> of course um and i know it's it's Fa- like uh, fey or not you know i'm right? sure that every cat enjoys a little little warm spot every single one um so the cat she are of course like linked to Samhain, which i don't think super surprises anyone and it's like said a that, black cat a black cat spirit yeah right around halloween what i've never seen Weird. anything like that never <laughs> and um, it was said that the cat she would bless any house that left a saucer of milk out for it to drink. And those houses that did not put out a saucer of milk would be cursed into having all of their cows udders go dry. So that's real, real shitty, uh, real shitty re- recourse there for a lack of cream. Um, yeah, you need some, you need some cream. Yeah, right. So and all that for one saucer of milk, you shouldn't be stingy. Right. It's like you could be completely blessed for an entire year if you would just leave out a little bit of milk. It doesn't take much. It seems like a no-brainer to me. So the probably the darkest story that's linked to the cat she is the um the tagrim or big ears. And this evil practice was like most recently observed on May uh, in May of 1824, as recorded by the London Literary Gazette. So thankfully, this isn't something people are keeping up. Um, but you start by collecting a lot of cats, like a lot of cats, and then you roast them all over a fire one by one while turning the spit. And you do that for four days, and if you've sacrificed enough of them, the cat she named Big Ears would appear and grant wishes or answer a question to those who took part in the ceremony. Jeez. Um, I know. And they said that during this, like, four-day ritual, black cats that were lesser spirits would show up to harass the person who was attempting to summon Big Ears. And, uh, yeah, I think the cats were probably just a little bit pissed about cat murder. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's super dark stuff. But um, finally, the witches are here in the story, though. And some some tales say that Kat Shi were actually able to take the form of a witch who could, in turn, then shift back into cat form. And witches with this ability were able to change from human form to cat form only eight times. They could choose to transform into a cat for a ninth time, but then they must remain a feline forever. And that could be one of the sources of the legend that uh, cats have nine lives. Um, That sounds like it would be a really cool anime. Right. So I used a few sources today. I know this is really short and sweet, but, you know, I just thought it would be kind of a fun little like break after doing Isis, which was like such a huge deity to cover. Um, So I used catster.com, which anybody who has a cat that's like Googled something about them has probably ended up on catster.com. Cat She, Magical Felines of Scotland. It's a YouTube video by Leah Wolf and Morgan Daimler's book on fairy witchcraft. Well, we are very, very close to the bitter end of cats. The episode, <laughs> the experience, the sensation on ice. Um, no. So. Uh, Sorry, I'm just giggling about us being on ice. On ice. No. So the terrorscope for this week was, um, I did it at sunrise this morning. And it is for Sagittarius. And it was the reverse page of pentacles. So you're probably thinking about making a change or starting a new project all you sagittarian folks out there uh, but sort of the the wisdom of this card is that it it's best to get all of your ducks in a row before making your intentions public uh and that you really need to rely on like your fiery self-reliance in this moment but also sort of a warning to not let this become another half-finished project that you've put back on the shelf. Uh, And I feel like that's very, very good advice for Sagittarians uh, because, you know, I'm sure as a Sagittarius moon, uh, I could not even begin to tell you what an attention span is and how much of this kind of thing I have in my life. Um, So don't start it until you're ready to start it. Keep it to yourself for now because, you know, there might be people who aren't so happy with whatever it is. And don't start it unless you're ready to finish it. That's our advice for you this week. Sagittarius. I love that you got that because I do have a Sagittarius in my life that I was thinking about for this. Um, It seems like a very timely message. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I mean, you know, kind of at sunrise. So I feel like this could be something that's like a new beginning for you. I love that. Potentially. But follow through. I mean, there's kind of like a warning built into this card that you have to fucking follow through. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the whole life thing, right? (laughs) Right. But it's, it's, no, I think it's a really good message. And I think we all need to hear it sometimes. So I'm glad that uh, whatever Sagittarius out there is listening that needed to hear this, we, uh, we, we wish you well. We think you can do it. We do. We do. But you have to fucking follow through. Yeah, you just got to focus. It's real easy to start stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But finishing Um, things, that's a different story. Right. Great. Well, I guess that brings us to the end. So, you know, if y'all want to send us a bag of rubies or send us an invitation to Atlantis or even just send us really cute pictures of your little cat familiars or just your cat friends, you can email us at wandsandfronspod at gmail.com or you can message us uh, at wandsandfronspod on Instagram. And what, <laughs> I mean, what do we what do we say to all the witch bitches at the end of every episode? It's probably my favorite part of the episode. It is. We say blessed be bitches. Blessed be bitches. Bye now. Goodbye. Cats, the episode, the experience, the sensation on ice.